Praise God. And we're going to be talking tonight about God's, uh, grace is God's provision. Grace, God's provision. And, you know, I just wanted to start the service tonight with a little story. Many years ago, I was leaving my house early one morning, and I noticed a young woman who maybe was in her 30s. And she was walking up this steep hill as I was driving down the hill. And I had seen her so many times before. And I'd often wave to her and sometimes give her a thumbs up because um, she was struggling to get up the hill. It was a very steep hill. You see, the first time I noticed her, I noticed that she was extremely overweight. But as the days turned into months, Her body was continually being transformed. And she was looking great. And so that morning that I saw her, I stopped my car. And I rolled down my window and with all sincerity of heart, I said to her, You look great. You know, she had been doing this. She had been after this month after month after month. And you saw her discipline. And you saw just, you know, this transformation. And I just said to her, you look great. And she simply replied, thank you. And she smiled. And then with all sincerity of heart, she said back to me, have a great day. Well, this brief encounter, it affected me deeply. You know... There was an anointing on the words that was communicated between us. They pierced my heart and they were branded there. I believe that it was a divine gift from the heart of God to one another. I desire to encourage her and she desired to bless me. And that's what made the difference in the exchange of words and the anointing that was upon them. You know, we didn't know one another, and I didn't speak to her again. But that day we had a divine exchange. We often use salutations when we greet one another, as you just did. A salutation is a greeting often used in a letter or in a written correspondence, or it could be non-written communication. Salutations can be formal or they can be informal. And in my little story, our salutation, it was just, again, flat out anointed. That's something we have to take a selah about. We have to pause and think about that. The way that you greet a person, it can impact their day. And you know something else? It can impact their life. Many people, they feel overlooked or they feel unimportant. And words of encouragement inspire courage in one another. And we're instructed to do that in the scriptures. To encourage one another through words, through communication. What's the custom in your home? How do you greet one another? How do you greet your family, your spouse, 
your children, relatives, neighbors? How do you greet them and what words or what are your words seasoned with? Ever since my encounter with this young woman, one of my favorite things to do is to greet people I don't know with a smile and with a heartfelt good morning or words of kindness. I tell you, it blesses me just as much as anything else. We look at the scriptures and we see that salutations were not just empty words that began at the beginning of the epistle. They were important words. And, you know, the standard for greeting before Jesus came to this earth was shalom. That's how people greeted one another. Shalom, which is the word for peace in the Hebrew language. Peace that comes from what? Being whole. Peace means nothing missing, nothing broken in your life. Paul and the other New Testament writers, they added the word grace to their salutations. And grace and peace was used in expressing blessing to people. Notice that grace was used first, which is the root of what God did through Jesus. And what he brought to mankind was the grace of God. Then peace, peace from the Father God. We see here that, you know, hellos and goodbyes, they meant more than just, hey, how you doing? Or see you later or catch up. Let's look at an example here in the letter to the church of Ephesus. If we look with me at Ephesians 1, 2, this was their hello and this was their greeting. It was this, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. That's how the letter opened. Now let's look at Ephesians chapter 6 and let's look at the last verse in that letter. Verse 24. This was the ending or the goodbye. And it says, again, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus in sincerity. Amen. So it was the beginning and it was the end. The writers in the New Testament, they were just greeting one another with with just words. They were making um, a declaration. They were pronouncing and proclaiming something to one another. They were saying grace and peace to you. It's as if I came up to Pastor Tom here and I said, Pastor Tom, grace and peace be multiplied to you. You know, God bless you, Pastor Tom. May his goodness, the goodness of God overtake you. You know, what does grace mean? What does it mean when you say that to somebody? It's a powerful statement. And it's a way that you can bless other people. Grace simply means unmerited favor. It's unearned favor. It's undeserved favor. Grace is the power of God coming on you to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Grace is the divine influence of the heart. Grace produces peace. Shalom. Peace that comes from wholeness. 
where there's nothing missing and nothing broken in your life. All because of what? His grace. Again, it's a greeting that you should, you know, embrace to bless another person with your heart. Pastor has been putting us in remembrance of the importance of words. Life and death are in the power of your tongue. Blessing and cursing are in the power of your tongue. So choose your words carefully. Especially when you're under pressure. Especially when you're tired. Especially when you're discouraged. Amen? God's grace is amazing. And it is the subject that I want to talk about tonight in the remaining time that we have together. Grace is an expression of God's forgiveness. I am so overwhelmed in my life with the love of God, the tender mercies, and the loving kindness that God has shown me in my life. It is the foundation for which everything else is built And that's another opportunity for a Selah moment. Many believe that grace is just God's forgiveness and mercy alone. But as wonderful and as precious as it is, His grace is so much more. His grace is what? What do we say? It's unmerited favor. It's unearned It's undeserved favor that God has bestowed upon your life. Focusing on just the word unmerited and, you know, that part of it, it emphasizes sort of our faults and our shortcomings because it's the fact that it's undeserved and unearned. But if you also focus on the favor part, You're going to see God bestowing his favor upon you because why? He loves you. Focusing on just where you fall short can actually keep you from experiencing God's favor again, that which is unearned and undeserved. There's a saying that goes like this. You can't see the forest for the trees. Have you heard that? You know, if you're focusing on just one tree or one little group of trees, you can't see the beautiful forest that's out there. And so we have to make sure that our eyes, our spiritual eyes, are focusing on the whole picture. It's God's unmerited favor. That's what God's grace is in your life. You know, one thing I found out after 36 years of ministry is that we all fall short. We all fall short of the glory of God. The same afflictions are among the brethren. They may be packaged a little differently. You know, they may look uh, different in temptations that come your way, maybe different than temptations that would come my way. But temptation knocks at every door, and sometimes we answer. So judge not, lest you be judged. Under the law, grace must be earned. It's earned through your performance. 
So when you fall short, you feel like what? You've disqualified yourself from the blessings of grace. Now, another way to say this is that in life, you just get what you deserve. Or you can't get anywhere in life until you make it all happen. You got to do it yourself. The belief is often that you're not good enough. You're not righteous enough. You didn't read the word enough. You didn't confess the word enough. You didn't uh, obey the law. You missed it over here. It's all about performance. And this belief results in the fear of God's punishment. Or the fear that he's going to withhold something from you. That which is good from your life. Because what? You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You didn't perform. That's a lie of the enemy. And it's not the same kind of fear as the fear of the Lord, which is a reverential fear that we're to have. It's a fear that hinders your faith. Now I want us to look at the passage in Galatians chapter 3. And we're going to read down from verse 10 through verse 29. And it's going to be out of the voice translation. But I want to bring it even clearer to you through this passage of scripture. Not just pulling a verse out here or a verse there. I want to read the passage because it's going to open up to you again afresh and anew. With new eyes of revelation about the grace of God versus the law. So let's start in verse 10. It says this. Listen, whosoever seeks to be righteous by following certain works of the law actually falls under what? The law's curse. I'm giving it to you straight from the scripture because it is so true now that when it was written, cursed is everyone who doesn't live by and do all that is written in the law. Now it is an absolutely clear that no one is made righteous with God through the law because the prophet Habakkuk told us, by faith the just shall obtain life. The law is not the same thing as life formed by faith. In fact, you are warned against this when God says, the one who observes my laws will live by them. I am trying to tell you that the anointed one, the liberating king, has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It was stated in the scriptures, everyone who hangs on a tree is cursed by God. This is what God had in mind all along. The blessing he gave to Abraham might extend to all nations through the anointed one, Jesus. And we are the beneficiaries of this promise of the spirit that comes only through what? Faith. My dear brothers and sisters, here is a real life example I give you with a last will and testament. When all the property is accounted for, the document is signed and witnessed and notarized, and afterward no one can make changes to it. In a similar way, God's promises established a binding agreement with Abraham and his offspring. It was a legal contract. In the scriptures it is clearly stated, and to your descendants, meaning one, 
not unto your descendants, meaning many, many. Therefore, in these covenant promises, God was not referring to every son and daughter born into Abraham's family, but to the anointed one to come. What this all means is that the law given to Israel comes along some 430 years after the promise made to Abraham. So it does not invalidate the covenant God previously agreed to or in any way do away with his promise. You see, if the law became the sole basis for the inheritance, then it would put God in the position of breaking a covenant because he had promised it to Abraham. Think about that. How did Abraham obtain the promise? Through faith. He believed God. I was thinking about this today, how many times we see in the scriptures, God would say to, in the Old Testament, to uh, the men of God, only be strong. Be of good courage. Don't be afraid. But I don't notice that he said often, have faith. That's a New Testament word. And it was given to Abraham and it was accounted for because he believed God. Throughout this argument, one critical question remains. Why would God give the law if it would not bring his people into a right standing with him? Did you ever wonder that? Couldn't God have found a better way of doing this? It isn't as if the law is a bad thing or a mistake that God needed to correct. It, is a, it has a good purpose, but a limited one. It never supplants God's promise to Abraham. Rather, the law keeps sin in check until the time is right for the saving justice that comes through faith in Jesus. The law serves as what? A tutor or a schoolmaster, revealing our great need for salvation and pointing everyone to who? To Jesus. Now you're asking yourselves, so why did God give us the law? God commanded his heavenly messengers to deliver it into the hands of a mediator for this reason. To help us reign in our sins, until the offspring about whom the promise was made in the first place would come. A mediator represents more than one, but God is only one. So you ask, does the law contradict God's promise? Absolutely not. Never was there a law written that could lead to resurrection and to life. Then surely, if there had been, then surely we would have experienced saving righteousness through the keeping of the what? The law. But we haven't. Scriptures had subjected the whole world to sin's power so that, faithful, so that the faithful obedience of Jesus, the anointed, might extend God's promises to everyone who has what? Faith. Before faith came on the scene, the law did its best to keep us in line, restraining us until the faith that was to come was fully revealed. So then, the law was like a tutor, 
assigned to train us and point us to the anointed so that we would be what? Acquitted of all wrongdoing and made right by faith. But now that the true faith has come, we have no need of a tutor. It is the faith in the anointed Jesus that makes all of you children of God. Because all of you have been initiated into the anointed one through the ceremonial washing of baptism, have put him on. It makes no difference whether you're Jew or Greek or slave or a free man or a man or a woman. Or I'll add this, a child. Because in Jesus the anointed, the liberating king, you are all one glory to God. Since you belong to him and are now subject to his powers, you are the descendants of Abraham and heirs of God according to the promise. Hallelujah. Now we are under what? We're under grace. Grace is the favor of God. It's a free gift. God was to demonstrate his favor and goodness by showing up in the land of our lives through his grace. Not because we deserved it, not because we earned it, but because why? He loves us. Say that with me. Lord, Lord, you love me. You You care about me. You watch over me. And I'm so thankful to you. It's his unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor upon your life that enables us to come boldly to the throne of what? Grace. To obtain what? Grace. And help in a time of need. Boy, that's good news. We can camp there a minute. Because sometimes when we need help, we need mercy too. Did you know the mercy seat sits over the law? Glory to God. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the grace of God. Trying to be justified in the law will separate people from Christ and make them fall from grace. Because you cannot be justified under the law. People try. They try to be good enough. They try to earn it. But it cannot be done so they feel frustrated. And they leave. Hallelujah. That doesn't mean that the law doesn't have value. There is a difference between valuing the law and valuing grace. The law, again, was a standard for us to live by. But it actually shows us what? It shows us the need for the grace of God in our life. Because we can't keep it. We can't earn it. Grace is only effective when there's a need for it. 
When we understand his grace, which is his provision in our life, it'll transform our life. It'll transform our thinking about who God is and how he desires to bless you, every one of you. Remember, the law is powerless to change our life. It took the Spirit of God coming into your heart and doing a work of the Spirit as you received Jesus as your Savior. And you began to receive the Word of God into your heart. And the Word is the instrument that God uses to transform your life. It's what He uses to work in your heart, to change your heart, to mold it into the image of Jesus so that you can be loving and kind when you don't feel like it. <laughs> Hallelujah. He will provide what we need. His provision, His grace, get this, His grace is His provision for our life. His grace is His provision for our lives. Whatever we need, it's available to us through the grace of God. It's his supply to us. We just need to respond to it. Remember again, because the law is powerless to change our lives, we have to have a view sometimes of spiritual death, which actually makes us aware for the need of a Savior. It makes us aware for the need of the grace of God in our lives. When we see we can't do it, we can't accomplish it, we can't fulfill it. Aren't you glad he fulfilled it for us? I know I am. Our view again of God affects our growth. Because our growth is connected and starts with grace. We need to not grow because of our ability. You know, sometimes we think that we're going to grow just because we can do it. Again, I'm trying to get that point across to you tonight. It's not because of what you can do in and of yourself. It's not because of your self-effort or your self-will. It's not because of any of those things, but it's because of his provision. His provision. His provision in your life. We need to respond to the grace of God. Because by grace, you're what? You're saved. By grace, are you saved through what? Through faith. Not of works, lest any man should boast, but it's by the grace of God. In Romans chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, it says this, For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under the law, but you are under grace. How do we receive this grace? Again, Romans 5, 2 will tell us. Let's look at that together. Let's go back and look at verse 1 of Romans chapter 5, and we'll read 1 and 2. Therefore, being justified by what? Faith. We have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2. By whom also we have access by faith into grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. How do we access grace? Through faith. We access God's grace, whatever it is that you need in your life right now, 
Whatever you need, you're going to access it through faith. Because grace is what? His provision for your life. It does what? It does for you what you cannot do for yourself. What else does it do? It gives you divine revelation. It divinely influences your heart. So many things influence us in the world today, family. There's so many things pulling on us. You can't go into a store. You can't go out the door. You can't turn on a radio. Things influence you. What spirit are you listening to? It's either going to be, you know, anointed of the Holy Ghost in the day and the hour that we're living in, or it's going to be anointed by the devil. You've got to recognize that. You've got to discern that. And you've got to choose life so that you can live and your seed. A little bit of leaven does what? It leavens the whole lump. It gets in there. You've got to get it out. Do you remember the story I used to tell about to our youth? I think I told it to you all a couple of times, maybe, um, about the brownies and the dad who wanted to make brownies for their, his child. Actually, what happened, it was the, the kids came home and they wanted to go see a movie. And it was R-rated. And the father said, no, you're not going to see an R-rated movie. Oh, dad, everybody goes and sees the R-rated movies. It's only got a little bit of swearing. Dad said, no, that was it. The next morning he gets up and he makes brownies for the kids. And oh, they just smell so good. So they get up and they're so excited. Wow, Dad, you made us brownies. They smell great. Can we have some? Sure, go ahead, help yourself. They go to get the brownies. He says, oh, just one thing. I have to tell you. I went out in the backyard and I picked up the dog poop and I just took a little teeny bit of it. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. And I mixed it in with the batter. But you go ahead. Would you eat it? Why? It's toxic. It's contaminated. And the things of this world are contaminated. And so we have to make those choices between life and death, blessing and cursing in our life. It makes a difference. Again, we access, access this grace by faith. When we have a revelation of God's goodness, what does it do for us? What does God's goodness do for you? It leads men to repentance. That's what it does. It leads your heart that way. It's a precious thing. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And we're going to look at verses 10 and 11 in the New Living Testament translation. It says this, For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in what? Salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. So it's talking here about godly sorrow. And that's what the goodness of God does. It leads men to godly sorrow that makes a change in their lives. Verse 11, just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. 
such earnestness, such concern to clear yourself, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, and such a readiness to punish wrong. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. Have you felt that working in you? Have you felt it working in you today? Hallelujah. I want to look at it in the message. Verse 11. And now, isn't it wonderful all the ways in which this distress has goaded you, against, uh, goaded you closer to God. That goad is something that um, encourages you or urges you or drives you or stimulates you. You are more alive, more concerned, more sensitive, more reverent, more human, more passionate, more responsible. Look at it from any angle. You've come out of this with purity of heart. That's where we want to be. Walking with purity of heart. Longing to please Him. Working until He's satisfied. Not till we're satisfied, but until He's satisfied. One of the missions that Jesus had when He walked this earth was to show what God was really like. He was to reveal the Father. He said, if you look at me, you see the Father. That was his mission. It was one of them anyway. In John 14, verses 8 to 9, it reveals a more intimate relationship that God is seeking to have with us. You know, he always said, um, tell them I am. I am that I am. And in this passage of scripture, in the New Testament, under grace now, under grace, the dispensation of grace, he says, I am the good shepherd. What's a good shepherd do? He watches over his flock. He leads them to green pastures. He leads them besides the still waters. He restores your soul. Oh, that's such good news. That we have a good shepherd who's watching over us. A good shepherd goes before the sheep and clears the pathway. Makes the high places come down, the low places come up, makes the crooked places straight, clears the path. And when you trust in him by faith, by accessing his grace in your life, life will be a little easier for you. Because you can't do it yourself. And remember, it's there for you. It's unearned. It's undeserved. It's unmerited. Mm-hmm. It's a free gift. Mm-hmm. Amen. Glory to God. Amen. Whoo, hallelujah. Thank God, thank God, thank God for his amazing grace. There's an old hymn. Pastor Kimberly, you'll know this one. What a friend I have in Jesus. All my sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. 
Oh, what peace we often forfeit. What needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I say pray about everything and leave nothing to chance. It's a good word. As we close tonight, there may be some of you out there that perhaps, or even a loved one that you have in your life, maybe a child, maybe a parent, maybe a sister, a brother, someone that you're concerned about, maybe yourself. Maybe you've lost your way. Maybe you've made choices that were outside of the law, that led your life in a different direction or a different plan that you had planned for your life. You know, the devil will try to bind you up with that and say, look at what you did. You missed it. So now you don't deserve the blessings of God in your life. You don't deserve the grace of God. You can't get it because you didn't earn it. It's a lie of the enemy. He will use it to bring condemnation to you. You've got to get a revelation of the grace of God. You may see that the choice and its consequences, because there's consequences to choices. You may see that because of those choices, because of those consequences, you may see that you have plan B for your life. Our idea of plan B, however, is sometimes actually plan A. For me, plan B was plan A. And God continues to use it in my life. Plan B is not grade B. It's plan B. Plan B isn't, get this, an alternate route. That's what the Holy Ghost said to me today. Plan B is an alternate route. You know, if you, if you take a detour, or if someone you know that you love and you care about takes a detour, the grace of God comes along. Plan B, here we go. And he prepares an alternate route for you. And that alternate route takes you where? To your destination. Ah! Glory to God! That was worth coming tonight. Don't let the devil tell you that all you can settle for is plan B. Because I'm telling you, when you have plan B, there are some things you've gone through. There's some virtue that comes from that place of going through that hard thing. You know God greater. Your faith increases. You have a supply that you can give to others that you would not have had lest you gone through that difficult place, that valley of Baca, the valley of weeping. But when you pass through the valley of Baca and you come out on the other side, you will make it a spring. And a spring is something that benefits others. So that plan B is really a plan A and God's going to use it. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's just, Father, we just ask you, Lord, for just a deeper revelation of that. That you help us through the grace of God to do all that you've called us to do. Father, I pray for these tonight. I pray for a spirit of encouragement, a spirit of revelation to settle down upon them about how good you are, how much you love them, and how your grace is available through faith for everything that we could possibly face on this earth. Your grace is sufficient for me. And we thank you for it. Let's just raise our hands. Lord, we just thank you for it. We just give you glory. We give you praise and we thank you, Lord. Oh, we just thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. He's so good. He's so good. He's so good to me. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And he's good to me. Say it to yourself. God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. And he's good to me. And his grace, it reigns. And it rules in my life. And I just receive right now, just lift your hands. Receive the grace of God. That free gift. It's unmerited. It's undeserved. It's the grace of God for you. And it will strengthen you and do for you what you cannot do for yourself. It will divinely influence your heart. And it will bring you through to the other side. Hallelujah. Woo! <laughs> glory to God. Woo! Hallelujah. Oh, such a tangible anointing. Freedom in this place. When you have a revelation of the grace of God, you have freedom in this place. We sing that song, freedom in this place. When we sing it, I look at myself and I put my hands on my belly and I say there's freedom in this place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for freedom. Nothing's binding me. And I will not frustrate the grace of God through thoughts of fear. Those thoughts will come. They'll swarm all around. Remember that little umbrella I had that one time I preached on that? Put that on my head. I'll tell you what, you put up your umbrella, that protection, the blood of Jesus over your soul. And those thoughts 
It'll be like rain coming off that umbrella. I'm telling you, they may be all around you, but they're not going to be on you. And because they're not on you, they're not going to be in you. Because they're not in you, you're not going to be tormented by them. Because the grace of God is working for you. You may not know the how, but you know the who. And he will make a way for you. Every head bowed and every eye closed.